Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail... 2021 in Auckland, the America's Cup remains New Zealand's Cup. An historic moment, but at what cost? Despite costing the country $293 million, America's Cup organisers are still claiming the event was a resounding success. A series of reports into Team New Zealand's defence of the America's Cup paint a picture of a splendidly run event which dumped bucket loads of kerosene-soaked cash onto a raging bonfire. Of course, there are lots of complicating factors here. Just under $200 million was spent on infrastructure. That would have needed to have been done anyway. And the whole pandemic thing cut off a pretty big revenue stream. I don't know what those figures are on those super yachts, but on a daily spend it runs into millions. And the shortfall that they've had here on the 79 cents to a dollar could probably be made up by those people quite easily. And besides all that, you know... We're just about the only country in the whole world that could have pulled this off, and pull it off we did. Maybe there are some things money can't buy. 196 countries, and people are going, is this for real? Is this happening? Well, wherever you are watching around the world, this is happening, and we are fortunate... Today on the podcast, Stuff senior sports journalist Duncan Johnston sits down with me to draw a line under the 2021 America's Cup what the strengths and weaknesses were, how much it cost us, and how things might be different if we're the host city next time around. And there's no guarantee on that. Tell me about this document that we're going to be talking about. This comes from the America's Cup Events Authority. What is it? What is the document? Uh, Well, they're they're essentially the... um the side of the defence, Team New Zealand's defence, that was handed the responsibility of of running the event. Nothing to do with uh, the yachting, the sailing or anything like that. It was just the mechanics of putting this event on, getting it on and out to the world. So they've done quite a a robust review and um, brought that out with uh, this reported document, which is 110 pages. Yeah, so they've had a, a pretty robust look within themselves their achievements and what they could do better brought themselves some um, quite strong criticism upon themselves and some quite strong recommendations moving forward where they could make improvements for the 37th America's Cup, wherever that may be held. So there are some terms that we're going to use here, um, the America's Cup Events Authority, ACE, that is essentially the New Zealand event management company that puts the... The, the America's Cup on. There's also going to be the challenger of record, the COR. That is what, essentially, the Italian side of that? That's the Italian side of it. So as challenger of record, you sign on to um, build the event with uh, Team New Zealand. Um, interestingly, you're tasked with a huge responsibility, really, in putting on the challenger series, which in this term uh, was known as the Prada Cup. It took over, many listeners will remember, the Louis Vuitton series. So, yeah, they they have to put on the um, the Challenger series and uh, then work with uh, Team New Zealand and the, and the event authority in making sure everything sort of runs smoothly operationally. Right, so there's good stuff and there's bad stuff in this report. Maybe we'll start with the good stuff. It was considered to be a good event, well executed. Yeah, I, I think so. There were no major mishaps. COVID cast a huge shadow over this event from the word go. And uh, financially, it was a lemon the moment the borders were closed and no international 
visitors were allowed. The super yachts were, uh, you know, the fleet was just decimated. I think they lost 110 super yachts. So that's massive money. So the whole thing became really a bit of a survival exercise, I suppose. But I think under the circumstances, and as is acknowledged in this report, they pulled it off pretty well. Limited teams, but the action on the water was fantastic, and they did what they could with the domestic audience around Auckland's waterfront that was tarted up pretty well. Mm. A whole new area was developed there in the Winyard Quarter, so that's a major legacy moving forward, which they acknowledge. You look back into um, the original defence uh, in 2000, 2003, and the development that went there with the um, Vidak Basin. Well, this is just a whole other extension of that, and the benefits of it are long-term for Auckland. When a city hosts a big sporting event like an Olympics or a Football World Cup, they often involve fast-tracked investment in infrastructure which wouldn't otherwise happen. When Beijing hosted the Olympics in 2008, China invested more than $40 billion in infrastructure alone, upgrading the city's subway system, finishing the light rail system and constructing hundreds of kilometres of city streets. I think that's the, the long-term gain out of this. We've, Auckland as a city has got a whole new playground down there. Now, subsequent to this uh, ACE report, Council and the um, New Zealand government have come out with the financials, and they obviously don't measure up very well. You can twist figures whichever way you want, and there were screaming headlines around this. Of An evaluation report released by the Crown and Auckland Council shows the total loss has been calculated at $156 million. For every dollar spent, less than half, 48 cents was recovered. Supposedly uh, Auckland made 79 cents out of every dollar they invested. Well, I actually thought that wasn't a bad return under the circumstances without the uh, international audience coming here. We missed out on the big spenders coming in, basically, right. and the very big spenders in those super yachts. And a lot of you know wealthy people are around these teams because we must remember that while Team New Zealand, yes, they do have some help from the government, although it's not as much as been you know reported or suggested, uh, they don't have the benefactors of the billionaires that these other teams had. And, you know, the sideshow that would have come with these teams would have been absolutely considerable. The shortfall that they've had here on the 79 cents to a dollar could probably been made up by those people quite easily. 21 years after their first successful defence on home waters, Emirates Team New Zealand do it again in a new class of boat that proves Kiwis can fly. Sailing's most treasured prize, the America's Cup, stays in New Zealand. Sticking with the good stuff, um, the TV numbers and the uh, social media numbers were pretty good as well? Yeah, they were record numbers. Look, I don't have them with me at the moment, but they were pretty mind-blowing, really, and it was a big leap forward from um, San Francisco and, and then Bermuda. So, you know, interestingly, they really tapped into the social media um, this time. I think they realised the, the benefit of their... They got huge uh, results out of that. Um, we talked about the other benefits like the infrastructure, the other legacy, the the likes of all of those um, fleet boats that were out there. The co- uh, have all gone to the Coast Guard now. So, you know, there are things that bubble along here that, that just don't sort of get recognised, I suppose. A stunning scene to see. These images going around the world to some 196 countries and people are going, 
is this for real? Is this happening? Well, wherever you are watching around the world, this is happening. And we are fortunate and blessed to be in a country right now that can do this and have the America's Cup, the 36th Cup match, uh, running as we head towards race seven. So moving on to more critical elements of it now. Can you blame this loss entirely on COVID? Oh, overwhelmingly, it was uh, COVID. Um, you know, the, the results, the economic results would have been quite different if you'd had open borders. I mean, we've talked a little bit about the financials of it, um, various headlines saying it lost what in the region of $150 million. I mean, as you say, you can twist financials however you like, but there is no getting away from the fact that the country lost money on this? Yes, they did. I would say that the way some of the financials have been shaped are a little bit shady. In Auckland's case, they were able to include things that weren't sort of strictly cup-related, but they did factor into the overall equation. This would be things like the development of that Winyard Quarter where which they've done things now that were on a 10-year um, plan. So the Cup kind of hurried those things up, but they've decided to lump that sort of long-term figure, you could say, into the current um, one, which probably weighs quite heavily against the event. According to Stuff's Todd Nile, the economic report includes $92 million worth of Auckland Council infrastructure, which isn't Cup-specific. It also doesn't take into account the benefits of overseas TV and media coverage, which portrayed New Zealand in a favourable light and is much prized by politicians and tourism figures. Long term, they've probably made made some savings out of their uh, decisions to forge ahead with uh, things that were probably um, a little bit beyond what the actual cup was bringing. What we should be grateful for, I guess, is that... uh we were able to hold the event that we had uh, an astounding number of viewers, a global audience of 941 million. And I guess we got um, not as much as we expected, but we still got $300 million worth of spending in Auckland and uh, 39,000 visitors, mainly from around the country. So disappointing that COVID did that to us, but what we were able to show to the world that despite COVID, when every other international event of that scale had been cancelled around the world, there we were in Auckland, basking in the sunshine, beautiful harbour, no masks, no social distancing and no COVID-19. One thing that was it was, it was very striking reading your report was the um, almost childish politicking behind the scenes in some ways between ACE, uh, the America's Cup Authority, and the Challenger of Record. T- uh, tell me a bit about this. Well, as I say, the, the Challenger of Record, you enter into an agreement and let's look at Luna Ross. They've got a long history with Team New Zealand. It goes back, right back to... Um, well, 2000, and they came here and, and they challenged. But if you go look at 2013, uh, Team New Zealand supplied Lunarossa with a, uh, a boat design for San Francisco. Mm. Then you go on to Bermuda, and um, Lunarossa weren't happy with the way Oracle were dealing with things, so they threw all their toys out of the cot and pulled out. But they gave Team New Zealand a test boat so to work up, and that was a, instrumental into uh, Team New Zealand's success. Mm. Um, so there's been a strong uh, sort of uh, bond between the, the two teams and everything looked hunky-dory. As soon as Team New Zealand um, crossed the finish line of Bermuda, Luna Rossa signed on to be the challenger of record and returned to the America's Cup. We all thought it was great. Mm. But as I said, you know, friends can quickly become enemies in the America's Cup. When you get down to the nitty-gritty of it, you're there to uh, win the event at all costs. And uh, Luna Rossa had a lot more money to throw at this than, than Team New Zealand did. But it seems, reading this report, 
that Luna Rossa, while they had a steely relationship with Team New Zealand, that certainly flowed into their dealings with the bureaucracy. It seems they just weren't given perhaps the deal that they deserved for their uh, standing and their financial input, and this clearly annoyed them. They just didn't feel that they were getting um, they were getting the thin end of the wedge, basically, mm. around the place operationally. It seems they were um, a little bit handcuffed, perhaps, didn't have the clear communication channels that um, would be expected, and in the end they were left to make some decisions on their own, which uh, seemed to be at odds with... Um, the spirit of the agreement. Are there specific examples of things that Luna Rossa might not have been happy about that, that spring to mind for you? Well, it seems they weren't happy about you know things as basic as some of their uh, infrastructure they put up around the village, the, the pretty things that come with the Italian way and obviously expensive. They don't really give details of that in the report, but it, it just sort of highlighted... A communication breakdown, I think, you know, uh, I think speaking to insiders during the Cup, it was just an ongoing frustration on both sides Mm. of how the whole thing was being handled. You know, it came to an absolute uh, boil over, if you think back to the Prada Cup final when we got hit by COVID. The ship storm continues to brew over the Prada Cup final that will be raced this weekend after a very public throwdown between the challenger of record and America's Cup organisers ACE. Effectively, ACE wanted to wait until alert level one in Auckland was, um, well, that we were at alert level one. That was so fans could watch it en masse. But CORE, Luna Rossa, demanded racing continue according to the rules. ACE is accusing Luna Rossa of being inflexible and self-interested while failing to demonstrate honour and respect for the country. Luna Rossa reckons Ace is just playing to the crowd. And it all, all sort of blew up when you get uh, the, the Ace chairwoman, Tina Simmons, you know, coming out with an extraordinary statement of Luna Rossa failing to demonstrate honour and respect for this country and wanting to de- delay everything until the crowds could uh, return, which was a, a noble thought, but when you've got um, international media broadcast schedules in place, you know, there's, there's millions of dollars at stake in, in that. I mean, they're accused of really looking at the Prada Cup rather than the, the greater good of the country. This is really a symptom of uh, a breakdown in the relationship. The once happy marriage between Luna Rossa and Emirates Team New Zealand is now well and truly over, and we're in the midst of a very um, ugly and acrimonious divorce, I'm afraid. Now, that really hit deep at those Italians. They were seriously annoyed about that. And they had that statement thrown on them right on the five minutes before mm. the press conference where they were going to announce that this thing is going to go ahead anyway. Mm. So that was a good example just of, you know, perhaps they could have got together and done it better. Yeah. yeah. Is part of this sort of the idea that, like, New Zealand, or ACE at least, is is thinking, we are hosting this event, it's happening in our backyard, therefore we are the ones who are in charge. Mm. And Luna Ross are thinking, well, we're pumping a hell of a lot of money into this, and that should buy us at least some clout and say in how things are going. Yeah, I think without a doubt that goes back to the heart of it. If you dig deeper into this report, ACE itself, pretty handcuffed in many ways, And this would go back to the reliance of the event on public money when you've got the government in Auckland City involved to such a degree in terms of the uh, hosting of the actual event. You've got bureaucrats coming at you left, right and centre. And um, I I thought one of the uh, stunning things in in the report was, was just 
Ace really throwing their hands up in frustration on what they were trying to deal with when they were trying to get on on with it and it was trying to be micromanaged by so many bureaucrats and, and so many meetings that just didn't seem to be going anywhere. And this again comes back to what I thought was some of the brutal honesty in, in, this, uh, uh, in this report. And the, the, the ACE report, the feelings of too much bureaucracy was again um, reverberated um, in the subsequent financial reports that came out. So, you know, they were an example. Ace was saying they were going to meetings where nearly 40 people from other agencies were in discussions. That's a lot of people to try to get sailing in the same direction. I can feel shivers running down the spine of the public yeah. service. Yeah, exactly, trying to get an efficient meeting done with any yeah. people. In, that, yeah. in total, they say there were 32 different regular meeting forums that Ace attended, most of which were unproductive and resulted in conflicting information and instructions being delivered to ACE. So these were people telling ACE how to run the event rather than getting together and saying, you know, this is how we should run the event. Mm. Um, is, that, is that a consequence of, of having a lot of public money put into an event? There are a lot of people who feel like they have, and maybe they have, maybe justifiably feel like they have um, investment in this and feel like they should have some kind of say and then all of a sudden there are way too many chefs in the kitchen kind of thing. Uh, totally. Uh, of course you're going to need local people on the ground everywhere um, and uh, this is where um, you know Auckland, uh, New Zealand, Kiwis with their, their sort of roll up the sleeves and get in and, and let's get this done um, come into play but yes you can have too many cooks in the kitchen Without a doubt. And I think the one resounding sort of thing that came out of this report moving forward would be um, they need to really slim down that. Mm. They need a Gordon Ramsay in that kitchen, really, (laughs) who's going to tell it like it is, whether there's F-bombs or whatever. But someone needs to take control of it and really move things ahead. And what sorts of lessons do you think particularly, I guess, the council and the government, will take from this when it comes to holding big international events, I I suppose sporting events largely we're talking about here, into the future? Yeah, well, I think cut out the bureaucracy, um, streamline everything there, deal with the um, key people that that you need to, and keep moving things forward. Just holding this cup here was really on a knife edge until, you know, late in the scene, perhaps only two and a half years out, really, before you know the council and that could really even agree that mm. this um, should be going on here. Here we are again with uh, the same situation moving forward. Doesn't look like it's going to be here. Could still be here. But Team New Zealand want to look after themselves. They, they need perhaps better options than, than what we've got here. Is there a better place than Auckland? The frustration will be that the infrastructure is in place here now and all been put in through this last regatta it should probably be hosted very, very well here next time if the finances stack up. Now, I see, you know, subsequent to these reports that came out, there's been in the uh, yachting media alone, if you look at Richard Gladwell at Sail World, who's pretty much on the button with a lot of his stuff, he's suggesting that these reports and the way that they've been covered uh, will be detrimental to uh, New Zealand wanting to invest money back in a government or city level into the event. So his eyes, it, it, it may be kissed goodbye just purely on the numbers, the financials, but also the way that 
it was perhaps negatively uh, reported. Do you think the next one will be here? Uh, that's a very good question. I don't think hope's totally extinguished. I would like to see it here, but I understand Team New Zealand's position in looking afar. We have to respect that they are a commercial entity, they are a sports team, and they must look after themselves first. They want to defend the America's Cup, but they're willing to defend it offshore if they can get better money. It's a fascinating event, and Team New Zealand have a fascinating position in our sporting psyche, really. I don't know of a team that polarises people Mm. more. They have lovers, they have haters, and the event does as well. But when the event itself is held, the nation can't help itself but become enthralled with it. And this is what I find very frustrating about it all. There are a lot of things in, in these reports that you can't put money a price on when you go into what people were seeing, images seeing overseas, the goodwill value, let alone in New Zealand, the fun factor that people were having while this was on, the enjoyment, the realisation that in a world that was largely on hold, here we were out in the sun having a heck of a time, Mm. much to the globe's jealousy. You look at the, the, the... public expenses from the government and the and the council. But for the general punter, this was a free event. Mm. This wasn't the 2011 Rugby World Cup where you've got similar, perhaps more money being invested by the government, yet you, as a rugby fan, had to put your hand in your pocket every time you rocked up to a stadium. Mm. This was an event from the word go that Grant Dalton and Team New Zealand insisted. Wherever you are in the country, you'll be able to watch it. And Um, It's really us playing out a decision that we made when we won the Cup that it should be able to be seen by everybody. It should not be just the exclusive property of those that could pay to watch it. So our whole plan, and this will roll out now all over the world, is that if you're anywhere in the world on any device and in New Zealand free-to-air on TV, uh, you can watch it live. Wasn't on Sky like the time before in Bermuda. They wanted it available on YouTube, they wanted it available to people on their phones, their tablets, on their computers. They wanted to get it out to the people. So, yes, we spent a heck of a lot of money on it, and the return may have only been 79 cents to the dollar, but we had a hell of a time when it was going on. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. And if you want to get in touch, email us, thedetail at rnz.co.nz. Alexia Russell produced today's episode, Blair Stagpole engineered it, and thanks to Duncan Johnston. Ka kite anon.